We're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And so Paul writes this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. All right. So then he gives us the content of those prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, and so that's sort of the main content of the prayer. And then you could you could even put in maybe there that is to say what I mean by that, what I mean by a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him is that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Okay, Um, and in particular, so that you could see with these eyes of your heart, they're enlightened, that you would see three things. Number one, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might? All right. What does that power look like? What kind of power are we talking about that is um, that is this immeasurable greatness? Well, uh, verse 20, it's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And two, that the same power that seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then kind of elaborating on that concept of being seated in the heavenly places and adding to it, he was seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then a third characteristic of this power is that it is the power that put all things underneath his feet. All right. And then we have this last little bit that is that is sort of a, a closing, but it but it ties us into that action, ties us into how we play into those things. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. That's us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. OK, and so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So let me pray for us and then we'll we'll dig into it. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to come together again. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that um, we are we are not a people who um, uh, live our lives through speculation um, or just a, a vague sense of things. We are not people who are carried along by by waves of just feeling um, or the times or whatever view is popular or whatever we see as prudent. No, we are people who have been given a revelation. We have been given your word, and God, we thank you for that. We thank you for this objective thing that we can come to, um, that we can see who you are and what you have for us and and the great salvation that you have called us to, and God, how we are supposed to live in light of those things. Father, as we dig into this text, help us to understand these things rightly. God, help us to... um, See the things that you want us to see in this text so that we can go from this place into this this world that we are living in and bring the light of Christ. God, all the things that have been going on in in the headlines and the news over the last few days with with um, these horrific scandals coming out and and the uh, the mass shootings and all these different things. God, we are continually reminded of of the um, the depravity and the desperation of our world. God, and so help us to recognize the things that you have for us in this passage, the people you have called us to be, the people who Paul is asking for you um, to show us who we are, um, God, and let these things lead us in our in our daily lives, in our walk, in our community. Uh, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so...
Um, when we're reading the Gospels, um, we come across this interesting story um, where it's the place where we get the Lord's Prayer from. And uh, basically what happens is the, is the disciples come and they ask Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Right. And I think there's something fascinating about the fact that, that the disciples would have to ask that, because on the one side, there is nothing more um, intrinsic to human nature than prayer in some ways. Right. Like there's something about prayer. Obviously, it's a piece of, of pretty much every religious system in the world. We we know that there is there is something out there that we need to call out to. All right. And so prayer is just something that I think it's part of the Imago Day. Right. It's something that God has programmed into us. OK. But at the same time, um, we recognize that we're not always good at it either, right? Or that we don't pray well or we don't pray um, rightly, um, that, there is, that there is something that's missing. And that's exactly why um, the disciples asked that of Jesus, right? Like, I, again, I think even atheists, you know, you hear stories of, of atheists who were in that, that crisis situation, in that foxhole, they begin to pray even to a God that they don't know because they, they, they feel like they should. These are good Jewish boys, though, right? Like these are, they know God. They have been raised in a world of, of, of theism, of the Word of God. And so they, they understand prayer. And yet, um, they're, they're uneasy about prayer. They feel like there's something they're missing and that Jesus can teach them how to pray. Well, that brings us to this passage, okay? Because. I think that Jesus is teaching us how to pray in this passage, too. Now, you might say, well, Ash, this is Paul talking to us. Yes, it is Paul, but it's Paul talking to us through the Holy Spirit, right? This is, this is the Word of God that has been inspired. Um, uh, Paul was inspired to write. And so as we read these things, this is, this is God speaking to us. And we see a model of prayer in this passage, right? Uh, prayer is being modeled to us here as Paul recounts his prayer to the Ephesian church. And so not only should we read this and say, well, this is what Paul was praying for those people at, th- at that time, you know, 2000 years ago. But this is this is a prayer um, for the church universal. Right. This is a prayer that God this is what God wants for his people at all times and in all places. Right. It is a model for how we should pray for our own church and churches in our own um, community. Um, it's not the only model in, in the New Testament. Um, in fact, um, Ephesians is a really cool book because we see a couple of these kind of models for prayer throughout the New Testament. Ephesians actually has two of them. There are two places where Paul talks about his prayers for the church. Um, one here in, in chapter 1 and then again at the end of chapter 3, which we're going to get to a few weeks down the road or whatever. And so, um, But it's neat because it's a passage that teaches us to pray. Um, but also we know that those prayers are right because they are prayers that essentially God is, is teaching us how to, um, to say. Okay, And so let's kind of dig in. I'm starting there in verse 15. right? So Paul kind of starts off and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. All right. And so notice how he says the very beginning thing for this reason. All right. What is for this reason pointing to? Well, it's sort of pointing forward and backwards. All right. Remember last week we talked about how Paul had broken his formula that he typically 
typically writes letters in, right? Usually he has a greeting, and then he goes into this sort of Thanksgiving um, section, right? That's how his typical formula. Except last week, we noticed that in Ephesians, he doesn't do that. He greets, and then he sort of explodes in praise and talking about what God has done from eternity past all the way through eternity future, right? Well, in verse 15, he sort of returns to form, right? So he acknowledges um, uh, the, the Ephesian church and talks about thanking God for that church, right? He, he goes into thanking God, um, and, and that kind of leads into this prayer. And so, again, um, he, he's, he's looking backwards, right? So he's saying, for this reason, for all these things that have been God has done in us, right? Remember the F's, right? The, the family and the future and the uh, assured faith and the, the other F, um, and... He's looking backwards. He's also looking forwards. He look, he's looking right now, right? He's saying, I see things going on in this church, right? Um, I see things happening in this church that, that make me thank God on your behalf, okay? And so in, in 3 through 15, blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, favored, redeemed, forgiven, and lavished, made known to, planned, given an inheritance, sealed, all of that in Christ, all right, we talked about that last week. And then, I have heard of your faith, church, and of your love towards all the saints. And so he goes, I'm thanking God for his awesomeness in, in eternity, and I'm thanking God for his awesomeness in what he's doing amongst you, right? Uh, the fact that you're growing in faith, that people are coming to know Jesus Christ. The fact that you're extending love to each other and caring about each other and meeting needs and all these kind of different things like that, right? Um, Paul is thankful um, to God for these things, right? And so here's one, so one thing I would say is this, as we kind of intro this, this prayer is a model for us, but it's also the motivations are a model for us, right? As we come into prayer in any situation, we should begin with thankfulness. We should begin with thanksgiving, and that thanksgiving should be um, at least two-faceted. It should be looking back to what God has already done for us. It should be looking now to the things that God is, is doing for us currently. And then, honestly, it should be looking forward to the things that we are assured of through the scriptures that he is going to do in the future. And so I, what I encourage you to do is this. As you pray for us, right, as you pray for this church, as you pray for Pleasant Grove at College Street, be thankful. Um, reject discontent. Reject disappointment. Does that mean that there's no room to improve? No. It means there, there's lots of room to improve, right? Like there's all thing, kinds of things that we should be doing better. There's all kinds of relationships that could be better. There's all kinds of things that could be better. That's because we're human and this is the world, right? But that's not the attitude that we come into prayer with. We come into the prayer to come into prayer not complaining um, about how things are not meeting up to our expectations, but we come into prayer thanking God for what He's done and what He is doing currently. Okay, and so recognize that this is not just a model of prayer. This is a model of your attitude coming into prayer, and Paul is doing that rightly. But what does Paul want for the church? What is the main thing that he is asking of God for the church? Probably in one word, you could say he wants wisdom. That's what he wants for the church. So look down there at verse 17. So he says, he, he, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? So, Paul wants you to be wise. 
right? He wants you to have wisdom. He wants you to have this spirit of wisdom. But it is not just an earthly kind of wisdom, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's to be spiritually right, wise. That's why it says it's a wisdom that is also a spirit of revelation, right? It's connected to revelation. Why do you think that's significant? Because there's a kind of wisdom that just comes from life, right? Like you're, you've had experiences in life, you've, you've, you've been through a lot of different things, and you have a kind of wisdom, kind of a street smarts, right? But Paul is saying, I'm not talking about that kind of wisdom. I'm not talking about the kind of wisdom that people come by naturally just by age and experience. I'm talking about a spiritual wisdom that is a, a revelatory wisdom, right? It is a wisdom that has been shown to you by God. It's an insight that comes from God, okay? And it's, and, and the the content of that insight is not just generic, it is knowledge of God himself, right? That's why it says a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him. What does Paul want for us? What is he asking God to give us? He's asking us to know God better and for God to be the one who shows us that and makes us aware of those things, okay? Um, notice verse 18. So then he says that line, it says... Um, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Okay? Now, again, that, that's sort of a, a little bit of a, a, a poetic kind of phrase, but we immediately know what he's getting at, right? Like he's saying, I want you to have a wisdom, but not just a head knowledge. Like, I don't just want these to be facts that you have affirmed on a list or something like that. Like, I want your heart to see these things, right? I want you to see these things with the eyes of your heart that have been enlightened as opposed to darkened, right? We don't want shadow casting over these things. We want them to be seen clearly, okay? And so he's saying, see these things with through your heart. Know what he is um, trying to teach you and believing these things deep down, a life-changing kind of knowledge of these things, okay? That's the kind of thing that we're getting at. That's what Paul wants for his people. Guys, that's what I want for you. Okay, I hope that's what you want for me. I hope that's what you are praying for the people sitting next to you, that everyone in this um, room and honestly, everybody in the church in Blount County and around the world would know God better. Right. It's one of the problems when we when we get to churches and we and they are too easily focused on man centered stuff. Right. Um, and it's not that there aren't things that we need to talk about on the man side of things. Right. But if we are if we are focusing on that to the to the um, exclusion of of knowing God rightly and knowing God deeply, then we've got a problem. And so Paul says, I want your eye, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened and I want you to understand three things. Right. He could be talking about anything. Right. There's all kinds of topics when it comes to the knowledge of God that we could understand better. The, the, I mean, it's a big book. Right. There's a whole lot of stuff that we could get into. But Paul says, I want you to know three things better, three things more deeply, three things more truly. I want you to know one. The hope to which he has called you. Two, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And three, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe. All right? Those are the three things specifically, the three kinds of knowledge of God that he wants you to know better. Okay? So let's dig into each one real quick. Okay? So first off, he says, I want you to know what is the hope of your calling. 
All right, so if, if we're going to look at that, we should probably define two words in there. We should probably define hope, and we should probably define calling. If you remember back a few months ago when we were talking about elders and deacons, we talked a whole lot about calling, right? And we talked about how typically when we use that word in the church today, we are talking about some sort of special calling on your life. Like, God has called me to go be a missionary, or God has called me to go over there and talk to this person about Jesus, or God has called me, um, you know, Um, to start a a homeless ministry or something like that. But that's not the typical way that the scriptures use the word. The typical way that the scriptures use the word calling, it's talking about your salvation, right? When the Bible says you are called by God, it's talking about that process of you being saved, about being brought into his his family, okay? And so, so calling means salvation, you could say. And then probably the other word, hope, that most of you are probably aware of this if you've been studying the Bible for any amount of time, Hope doesn't mean hope the way we say hope. Like if I say it, hope it doesn't rain later, that means, man, it would be nice if it didn't rain. I want it to rain, um, but it has no bearing on what's actually going to happen. Hope in the New Testament is not that way, right? Hope in the New Testament is better probably defined as expectancy, right? It is what you expect to be the case in the future, okay? And so think about that. So if he, if he is asking us to know more rightly the hope of our calling, then basically what he's saying is he's saying, I want you to see with your heart, know deep down what the saved, what saved people have to look forward to. Okay? So that's the first thing that he's saying. I want you guys to be wise, but the main category or the first category that I want you to be wise in is for you to actually understand and have a life that is staked on what your future is. All right, because that will change everything about the way you live your life right now. Honestly, we really already talked about this last week, right? When we talked about the idea that Christ has already given us a future, right? He's given us this future inheritance that we have to look forward to. And so that is assured. And now, so what is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not asking that God would give us a future because that's always already happened. What I'm asking now is that you would get it, okay? That you would see that future with the eyes of your heart and live your life that way. And so we could talk about, we could go even down that rabbit hole and go in any number of things. We could talk about the way that in eternity we are going to be with Jesus. That is, is part of our inheritance, right? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may always be, right? Um, that's part of that um, thing that we have to look forward to, part of that inheritance, right? One of these days we are going to be free from sin. Okay, we're going to talk about that later on in Ephesians chapter five. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. Like part of this whole process, part of this whole salvation that we are a part of is God is preparing for himself. Jesus is preparing for himself a perfect, spotless bride that has been sanctified by his own um Life and righteousness and blood, right? And so one day we're going to be freed from sin. We are going to be those spotless people without um, wrinkle or blemish. We are going to be holy and blameless. We have that to look forward to. Um, probably a very popular passage for a lot of people that's one of their favorite in all the scriptures, Revelation chapter 21. The new heaven and the new earth, right? I mean, I read that passage and I get, I get broken up by it all the time. Um, why? Because it talks about this place that one day we are going to be with God and he is going to live with us. He's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. He is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. There's not going to be any grief or longing or crying or pain. None of those things are going to exist in 
anymore. All those things, all the, the evil and the ugly is going to be is, is going to pass away one of these days, right? We have that to look forward to. And so Paul's saying, man, I want you to see these things, right? And think in terms of these things. Live your life by these things. If, if, if we would actually get a, a vision for the future that God has for us, um, it would change the way we live our lives, I think, in this, this world, right? We would be far less concerned with trying to make this place a heaven on earth, right? Um, at least in sinful ways um, or, or worldly ways, you could say. We would be far less concerned with making this place a heaven on earth because we would know the real new heaven and new earth that we have to look forward to. I think part of what Paul, again, is getting at is this, is the idea that, man, most of us, most people in general, I think, live their lives every single day in two places. They live their lives in the past, and they live their lives in the near future. All right? Most people do that. They go through day in, day out, living their lives in the past or in the near future. What do I mean by that? They live their lives in the past because they basically are doing everything from guilt, from regret, from bitterness, right? They are thinking about how things didn't go the way they wanted to, hurts in their past, and those things are the things that are influencing their lives right now, right? The way they're living their life today is because of stuff that happened in the past. Or we are living our lives in the near future, okay? And so we're saying things like this to ourselves. Man, if I can just get this one area of my life tweaked, get it where it needs to be, then I'll start doing the things that I'm supposed to. Then I'll start living the life that I know God wants me to. Then I'll start pursuing that thing that I know I should be right now, but I'm not, right? There's always a problem, though, that just over the horizon goal, as soon as you get to the horizon, what happens? It's over the next horizon. And then you get to that horizon, it's just over the next horizon, right? And you just keep on pushing it forward until what happens? You die one day and none of these things have happened. Because you've lived your whole life living either in the past or in the just-ahead future, okay? God doesn't want us to live in either of those places, okay? And I love, I, I, I've shared this with you. If, you've, if you've been around me for any amount of time, you've probably heard me use this quote a hundred times, right? Martin Luther had this great line where he said, there are only two days on my calendar, this day and that day, right? And so he's saying, I only care about two things, the present and eternity. Those are the only two days on my calendar. I'm not worried about anything else. I'm worried about what God wants me to do right now and then what the goal that I'm headed to in eternity is. I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about um, the near future. I'm only worried about those two days. I think that's what Paul is, is at least partially pointing to. If we had a vision for the future that God has for us, um, it would change the way that we are living right now. All right, so that's the first thing. That's the first element of the knowledge of God that Paul wants is praying for the church. But there's a second one. The second one is this. He says, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? Okay, that's the second thing that he wants us to get. Um, there in verse 19, what is the measure? No, I'm sorry. 18. What are the glorious, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? All right? So the scriptures teach that when we trust in Christ, we are adopted into a family. Again, we kind of talked about that last week. We are children of God and we are also heirs. 
of God, right? We're going to be, we're going to be among God's people, um, forever, right? Romans 8, 16, 17. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Which again is something that you could meditate on forever. The incredible reality that we are co-heirs of all things with Jesus Christ. That's nuts. Okay? And so if you were not paying attention, you might think that this passage was referring to that fact. That we um, we are co-heirs with Christ. We're brothers and sisters with Christ now. We are co-inheritors and we have this great inheritance set before us. Kind of like what we said last week about that inheritance. Here's the only thing, though. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not even what it says. Because notice the wording. He is not saying how he wants us to understand how awesome it is to be an heir of God. No, Paul is concerned with us recognizing the amazing reality that we are the inheritance of God. All right? We, so notice notice the wording. It says, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints? Okay, so whose inheritance are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus' inheritance. And what is the inheritance that he is getting? It is the saints. It's us. Okay, so here's what he's getting at. He's saying we are the present that God is giving to Christ. We are what he has won through his perfect obedience and perfect sacrifice. All right. And so you see this idea throughout the scriptures, right, especially in the Gospel of John, this idea that God the Father has given Jesus the church. Right. We are his bride. We are his body. We are his people. We are this new Israel um, that that is that is with um, that is with Christ. Right. And so so what's the point of that? What is Paul wanting you to realize? Like what he's wanting you to realize is this. Man, the incredible love of God for us, the fact that God loves you so much that he has made you to be the inheritance of Jesus Christ. He has said, you are the bride that I am preparing for my son. You are the bride that I have picked out among all of creation to be to belong to my son, right? That is an incredible, I mean, it's crazy, right? Um, to, to think that God has bestowed a kind of honor on us like that. Um, it, 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 all these things boggle the mind, right? It's like, how can that be the case? Um, because I know me, okay? I know us. And, and that seems like it's, it's overblown a little bit. And yet that is exactly why Paul is reminding us. He's saying, don't look at yourselves as, as you are. Look at the way God sees you, right? Look at the way God, what God has given for you. Um, look at what Christ was willing to sacrifice to win you, to buy you back from sin and slavery. Um, that is the value that God has placed on you. Not an intrinsic value, okay? Don't misunderstand me, right? Don't go, uh, you know, go, oh, cool, Ash and Oprah, they're pretty much on the same page, right? Like, it is not something intrinsic in us. Right? It's not something that we have in and of ourselves, but we are valuable. Why? Because God has made us that. Because God has placed that value on us in Christ. Okay? And so Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be open to that, that you would see the great love and value that God has placed on you. All right? And three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to those of us who believe, according or, or in keeping with the working of his vast strength? 
All right. And so Paul is touching here on power. Right. And so, again, don't miss, don't mistake what's going on here, because I was listening to a, a guy commenting on this passage and he was sort of saying, God is praying that you would ha- I mean, Paul is praying that you would have power. And I, I don't think that's exactly right. Paul is saying, no, no, no the power is already there. I'm praying. You're not asking God to give you power. You're asking God to show you the power that is already at work in you. All right. Um, and, and, and again, look at the, that wording, this immeasurable greatness of power, this vast strength that is working within us, right? You cannot fathom the power that is working in you. And so I was, as I was preparing for his sermon, uh, sermon, I was thinking about Josh uh, Cantwell, right? And so he's, he's a lineman and he works with electricity and stuff, right? And so we walk around out here all the time, right? And there are these these black wires hanging above our heads everywhere, right? And we don't even think about them. We don't pay any attention to them. And yet the amount of energy that is flowing through these things at all times is incredible, right? Tremendous. It is powering a whole city in this case. And we're just marable, right? It's powering New York City. It's powering when, when space shuttles fly over, they look down and what do they see? They see these huge lit up areas that are, that, that are, uh, represent cities that are on the ground. Right. And so every day, all day, energy, power is just streaming around us. It's streaming through this building right now. Every one of these little black boxes and and wires has got electricity that would kill you. Right. It is literally enough electricity to to destroy you, to destroy this building, to destroy this town. If it were if it got out of uh, if it was used in the wrong way or whatever. Right. The same is true, infinitely more true, of the power that is at work within you right now in Jesus Christ. Right? You have this incredible, immeasurable, vast power working through you. Okay? And, and, and just to give you a taste of what we're talking about here, he elaborates on it in three ways. He says, this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Okay? Which, that's a big deal. All right. In fact, it's the same power that raised you from the dead. Because if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now you have been made alive in Christ. That is an incredible power that is working in you. Okay, But it's not just the power that raised Christ from the dead, although that pr- would probably be the, the, enough. right? That would be the biggest thing that we could think of. But he adds to it. And he said, it's the same power that seated Christ at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Okay? So, like, again, it's kind of a silly illustration, maybe. What would it take for someone tomorrow to be king of the world? Right? What kind of military power, political influence, persuasive speeches, like whatever, what would it take to have one man be king of everything, right? Everything on earth. Like you go, I, I can't imagine any scenario, right? There's no scenario in which anybody could do that. There'd be somebody somewhere, probably Southerners, who would go, I'm not doing that, right? Like I'm in the French, probably too. But anyway, like they would just bucket, right? They would say, we're not following this thing, right? We're, we're not doing it, okay? And yet what has happened? Jesus has set himself up as ruler over everything. And not just everything on earth, but everything in the universe. And not just everything in the universe, but everything in the universe for all of time. 
Okay, for all of eternity future. Okay, so you ask, cool, what kind of power would that take? And you go, immeasurably great, vast power to 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 become that person. And he says, you're right, and that is the same power that is working inside you right now. Okay, Um, I know that sounds crazy, but that's what that's what this this passage is saying, right? Every rule and authority and power and dominion in the universe, okay? And so that, that phrasing, um, it's, it's kind of an obscure thing if, if you don't know it. Um, that's probably talking in spiritual warfare language, right? So when it says uh, rule, authority, and power, and dominion, it's talking about not just things here on earth, but it's talking about spiritual forces in, in the, the other realms, okay? And he's saying... Uh, Jesus is ruler over all these things now. He's been set up as ruler over all these things. But not just there, but also here on earth. And so if we're talking about heaven or earth, if we're talking about Caesar or Satan, it doesn't matter. Uh, because Jesus is now king. He is king over all these things. That is the power that he has demonstrated, and that is the power that is working in you. Okay. And then finally, finally, it is this. It is also the power that has put all things under his feet. Okay, so again, go back to that illustration. If you were to get all of the world on board under one king by um, schmoozing them or something, what would it look like? Like what kind of power? And we already said, man, it would be it would be impossible. I can't imagine a scenario. But what if every single person on the planet was not just cooperative, but what if they were all against you? Like, what kind of power would it take if the world was not ready to receive a king, but actually hated the king, fought against the king, tried to stop the king from taking his throne? What kind of power would you need for that to take place? And again, the answer is immeasurably great, vast, even more than the thing we talked about just a second ago, right? This is not just authority now, right? This is rule. There's a difference there, right? Anybody, there's lots of people who could have a kind of authority, right? But nobody listens to them. That could be a possibility. That's not what's happening with Jesus, but that's something that happens all the time, right? You have figureheads who don't really have any real power. Then there's people who rule, right? And who actually um, have, have rule over people. And the Bible says this, Jesus has put all things under under his feet, right? All things have been put under Jesus' feet. Jesus not only has authority, but he has victory, right? He has conquest, all right? There are forces in the universe that oppose Jesus all the time, okay? Um, there are forces in our own hearts that oppose Jesus all the time. They are fighting against him and want him to lose. And yet what? Jesus' enemies have all lost. They have all been defeated. Um, Their final doom is not yet here the same way that our final victory is not yet complete. But it is assured, right? It is hoped, okay? And not hope the way we use it, but hope the way the Bible uses it. It is to be expected. It is coming very soon. Every enemy will be defeated and made his footstool, right? That power... To, to conquer, or that power that did conquer, is the same power that is working in you. To put every rebel power to flight is the same power that is working in you. Okay, And so again, I know it doesn't seem that way. 
Okay, I know you don't feel like that when you are fighting sin in your life or doubt in your life or depression or anger or anxiety or anything else like that. Right. I know it doesn't feel that way. Um, It looks like sin and weakness and degradation in our lives, and in our churches and in our world is getting the best of things most of the time. Right. And I know sometimes when you read a passage again, that's why we started out this whole thing talking about the epicness of it, right? Do you get it? Again, this is epic. The kind of power and scope that we are talking about is epic in these passages. So epic that it is hard for us to grab a hold of, to say, man, really, Ash? Is, is that really the power that I have working in me? Man, just little old me, right? I can't overcome my fear. I can't overcome my sin. I can't overcome my addictions. I can't overcome my past. I can't overcome my near future. And that is exactly why Paul is asking for this prayer, right? Because he's saying, I get it. You don't see it. It's hard to see it. It's hard for us to live in light of the power that God is actually working in us. But I'm asking God that he would show you. I'm asking God that he would make this a reality in your life so that you could live in a different way. That attitude is uncommon, but that's the very reason why God is, I mean, why Paul is giving us these prayers, right? We don't see these things. We don't think in these ways, right? Um, we don't understand how much God loves us. We don't understand the, the hope and the future that we have. We don't understand the power that is working in us. And Paul says, but I want you to. And if you could, it would, it would wreck you, but in a good way, right? It would change everything about your life. And so then he kind of closes with this, and, he, and, it, and it's an interesting little, little, little connection there at the very end, because he talks about this idea, right, where he says, he says he's placed him far above every authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, and, but also in the age to come, and he's put all things under his feet, right? And then it says, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay? So, so notice something. We are not, as the church, that's who I'm talking about, we are not amongst the defeated. Okay? We are not the people who have been placed as Jesus' footstool. All right? Now, now understand me, I'm not saying that he is not ruling over us. He certainly is, right? We bow at Jesus' feet, but we don't have the same relationship to Jesus that the demons do. We do not have the same relationship to Jesus as, as those who have rejected Christ and turned from him do, right? Um, we are the church, right? We are his own body. And he does rule over us as our king, but in a different way, right? We are those who have been shown mercy in this whole system, right? Welcomed into this new life, even though we deserve death. Welcomed into a rule, a co-heir rule, even though we were rebels at one time, right? We are no longer enemies to God, but instead we have been shown mercy in what? We are sons and daughters, and more so, we are the bride of Christ, right? We are whom God has set his affection on and said, I will save you, and I will bring you out, and I will make you my own. 
We've been given a husband. And in this passage, it says we've been given a head, right? We've been given a head for this body that is the Christ. And there's, there's, a, there's kind of a double kind of significance there. It talks about head being the source of these things, right? So Jesus is the source of the church, right? But he is also the head of the church. He is the person who is over the church and gives it all of the things that your head give your body, right? If you're walking around without a head... You should go to the doctor, right? Because there's, you got some problems. Things aren't going to work well for you without your head. The head changes the whole thing. It gives you sensory input. It gives you a brain. It gives you um, a direction. It gives you a mission. It gives you all these things like that. The same way Jesus does for our lives. And so that's the exact thing that we see here, is that at the end of this whole thing, he reminds us, even though all this power and all this dominion and all this authority has gone out, you are not somebody who has been crushed by Jesus, right? You are somebody who has been welcomed in and loved and taken care of. And Paul's prayer for the church is that you would see this and that you would, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Okay, and so this is what I want to close on. Um, this is the prayer. This is a prayer for you to realize, you could say, right? So um, this is a way that you need to be prayed for, right? I think Paul, in a sense, is praying this prayer for you. Um, it's neat because the letter to Ephesians is, is probably what we would call a general epistle, meaning it wasn't written specifically to Ephesus in the way that he was like, I'm dealing with individuals who are in that city and talking in about specific things like that. It was a letter that was written to Ephesus, but was meant to then be taken to all the other churches around Ephesus and, and shared as a more general kind of epistle, right? There, there's obviously all of the scriptures are relating to us at all times, but there's a special way in which this is a message to all churches at all times, right? Um, this is God's prayer for us and things that he wants you to realize. It's things that you need to come to a realization of. And so this should be your, a prayer that is for you, okay? Does that make sense? Um, but also, this should be a prayer that you are praying for the church, right? It's not only something that you need, but it should be something that you should be asking of God to do in our midst, all right, so this is what I would love for you to do. It's something that I have in my little prayer journal that I keep or whatever. Like I've gone through all of Paul's letters and taken out his prayers, and I've written them on a little piece of paper, right? And, and it's the way I pray for you guys too, okay? And again, I've told you before, prayer is probably the... Man, one of the places that I'm weakest in terms of spiritual gifts, it's not the place that I feel most connected to God. It's the place that is easiest for me to kind of push to the side and do other things that I feel like are more spiritually beneficial or whatever. Uh, but when I'm praying for you guys, I'm often praying for you in light of these different prayers that Paul has, right? Um, I pray for specific stuff in your life, but I also pray things like this. Like I'll go through and I'll say, God, I want you to show these people these things. I want them to see you in these ways. And so what I would ask is that you would do something like that. Whatever way fits your kind of prayer time and, and, and regimen the best, right? That you would single out these passages and that you would pray the scriptures, okay? That as you pray to God for the life and health and vitality of this church, um, that you would pray these kind of prayers, 
right? Um, there are no prayers that go up to God, I think, that are bad. Like, you, you, you pray about whatever, but I think there are some things that are more central, some things that are more um, important for us to pray, and some of these things are those kind of issues, right? So if you would do that, right, recognize that you need these things in your own life, and at the same time, pray that God would do this in our church, that he would open the eyes of our heart to the things that we've seen in this passage. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now, and then I'll have um, Cody and Jamie come back up and and close us um, in worship. Father God, we are thankful um, for what you are doing in our midst, God, we are thankful for the ways that you have blessed and grown and worked in this church over the last um, uh, two years. Um, God, we are thankful that you are um, moving and working and changing hearts, that you are drawing people to yourself, that you are making us more like Jesus. God, we pray for um, the coming um, weeks and months and years, God, that you would continue to help us to um, know you, um, to love you, and to share that knowledge and love with the people around us. Um, that we would help those who are already believers, who are new in the faith, to, gr- to grow in that faith. God, that you would help... Um, God, those who do not know you yet, that we would be avenues of of that, that we would be witnesses and messengers, that we would take the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel to um, those around us, um, God, and that we would um, help them to come to know your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. God, we ask, I ask for this church that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Um, that they would be enlightened, that you would remove the shadow, move the darkness, um, move the things that hinder us, um, God, and that you would shine light in our hearts and allow us through our hearts to see rightly, um, that we would see the hope to which you have called us, the great hope that we have in store for us, the the future that is assured for every single follower of Jesus Christ. Um, God, we we ask that you would show us the immeasurable Riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. God, that you have loved us with such a great love that you have sacrificed even the life of your own son. God, that he has sacrificed his own life willingly um, to win us back from sin and death. God, help us to recognize um, and to see with that enlightened heart the goodness and the mercy and the great love that you have for us. God, we ask that you would show us the immeasurable greatness of the power that works in us. God, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power that has set him above all rule and all authority. God, the, the power that has um, even put all his enemies under his feet. God, that we would see um, that that incredible power is the power that is in work in us, um, that You are using that power for good in our lives and that we have been welcomed into a unique relationship with you, not the relationship with... Uh, that the, that the, the lost have with you, not the relationship with, that the demonic have with you, not the relationship that a fallen world has, um, but God, a relationship that a chosen people have, a people who have been loved, um, and justified, and God, who are moving towards their glorification um, in an eternity with you. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a husband and a captain and a king and a friend to us. 
God, help us to see these things. Help our church to see these things so that we could live lives that honor you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.